with great data comes even greater access latency. Welcome to the Trina Community Broadcast, where we transform your latency woes into fast insights. Trina Community Broadcast is a show where we cover events and happenings within the open source Trino community and show off some cool stuff that people like Corey Darby are doing in the Trino community. So welcome back, Corey. You're you're a long uh, long awaited uh, a member that we had, I think, on the second episode, if I if I'm not mistaken, right? It was pretty early. So. Yeah, early days. So Corey, uh, just for folks that uh, were, were did not catch that second episode, uh, could you introduce yourself and talk a little bit about uh, uh, what you do? Sure. Uh, so I'm a principal software developer at a company called Blue Cat, which is in the DNS space. And I've been there for about two years, and I'm really just running the uh, big data platform there, building it from nothing to what it is today. Awesome. And as usual, uh, our typical co-host and uh, and my partner in crime, Manfred Moser. Hey, everyone. Can you believe it? It's episode 19. <laughs> yeah, I know. Bad. We're, we're getting, getting up with the numbers. I mean, like... Uh, I remember double digits was a big deal, and now we're we're uh, uh, ten past that, so or yep. getting close to ten past that. We'll work our way to triple digits, right? Yep. Although definitely. we'll never keep up with some some podcasts that are like episodes so many hundred something something. Yeah, we need to move to daily podcasts. That's I think what you're telling me. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. We'd have to have more Trino developers and contributors. So bring it, people. For sure, for sure, and at least more like one more developer advocate, so I could you know get a little break here and there. But uh, uh, who needs that? Yeah, that's right. Nobody needs a break. Um, so uh, real quick, before we uh, jump right into uh, the releases and some of the cool news that we have uh, coming up, uh, let's do a quick uh, word from our sponsors, uh, Starburst. I'm Colleen Tarto. I am the Director of Engineering on Starburst Galaxy. What is it actually offering? So, I mean, I, I think this kind of like builds on some of the open source Trino stuff, but is it doing a lot more? Uh, what what kind of pains is it solving? Could you kind of uh, uh, give us a little bit of insight on, on what actual pain this is going to be uh, uh, alleviating? Yeah, absolutely. And so to, to think about that, I always like to go back and think about what's the difference between Starburst Enterprise and Trino, right? And so I always like to think of Starburst Enterprise as the cool older sibling to Trino. It's a little bit more mature, a little cooler. It's got a, it's got a car. It's got yeah. some cool stuff going on, leather jacket, you know. Um, and Trino is awesome in its own right, don't get me wrong, but Starburst Enterprise is just better and a bit more grown up. And specifically what that means to me is that with Enterprise, you get more. You get more functionality, faster performance, more connectors, more security, better management, better integration into the ecosystem of tools that you already use today, data governance, integration, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but what really speaks volumes to me is that when you use Starburst Enterprise, you get Starburst, right? You get best-in-class support from the folks who work for us, and they know Trino best because they created Trino, and they're con continuing to contribute to Trino. Um, but Starburst Galaxy takes that to a whole other level, right? So one of the pain points is installing, managing, maintaining, monitoring Starburst Enterprise. And so Starburst Galaxy alleviates all that, right? So it's um, a fully managed service. It's Starburst Enterprise as a managed service and more. What's the experience there for developers on Kubernetes first? And then on contrast, what would Galaxy look like? Yeah, I mean, I think Kubernetes 
like you get to, you get all the benefits of Kubernetes, like it's self-healing and, you know, it, it's sort of like a modern way to manage it, but you're still managing it yourself. Right. And so you still have to monitor it. If it goes down, it's still your responsibility, that sort of thing. Whereas Starburst Galaxy is a software as a service offering. Right. So like we are taking in that responsibility of installing, managing, maintaining, monitoring the service. Right. And so it, it's a huge win, you know, like who wants the pain of that? And so, um, you know, it's kind of like, you know, there are other products out there. This is really just, it's 2021. This is the way the world's working now is that things are available as a service, which is great because now Starburst is playing that game as well. I think there are a lot of exciting roadmap ideas of what we can build into Galaxy. And because it's a, you know, a hosted platform, the sky's the limit, right? Um, First and foremost, you know, we're focusing on performance and flexibility. And then beyond that, you know, there are exciting features that are either already available now or they're en route. Um, like in, in the immediate future, we're like updating our query editor and our notebook environment. We're thinking about usage and query optimization metrics built into the environment. So you can easily see, you know, what are your users doing? What you know, what queries are being run, you know, what's taking the most time, how can you like tune billing and things like that. Um, Obviously we've got our BI and data science tool integrations and more. I'm also excited about more advanced things like the ability to go cross, to do cross cluster analyses within the environment of Galaxy, but also hybrid analytics. So the idea of like going across cloud environments. So right now we're just in AWS, we're quickly gonna be adding GCP and Azure and potentially other clouds. But the idea is like, what if you have data in multiple clouds? Like just being able to like, you know, click a few clicks and then you're automatically analyzing data across clouds. That's really exciting to me. Do we have any plans for like data governance in terms of like, you know, you have now all of this, uh, these catalogs, yeah. this, this, you know, and it's kind of hard to uh, manage a lot of that and understand where to find it all. Once mm-hmm. you have, you're able to get there, but like, yeah. how, where's the map? And so yeah. uh, do we have anything that we've been working on with any partner companies or anybody that like that could help us in that that direction? I know there's like open source projects like a month and that people can use, but like there's, yeah. there's like- I think there's a lot of really cool projects out there involving data governance. There's a lot of really cool products and ca- cataloging worlds. Um, and we are, you know, excited to bring that all into Galaxy. So that is absolutely on the roadmap. And one last question, is yeah. uh, there going to be any free offerings coming up anytime soon? Is that on the road? Absolutely. We're building out, we've got a free trial. Um, so if you're interested, absolutely reach out to us. We are very excited about it. Um, and then we're talking about sort of a free tier. So like being able to just play around with it in your own environment and see what's what. We'll keep you all uh, up to date on when you can start to play around with Galaxy and Trino uh, for free for just a little bit and uh, get to know this incredible service called Starburst Galaxy. Thank you so much, Helen. Thank you. All right. So, Manfred, we like, I don't know, we've skipped around uh, like the last two episodes. We have been like starving everyone from of uh, release notes because... I think we Whoa. we preemptively we preemptively did the release 356 on like episode 16, and then like there was a bit of a, a delay. I think a release on 357 or something, and then we had like this three week you know like 
shift of, of, of when we actually did the last episode with, uh, with, uh, Anjali. So I, I'm like, we, we need to, we need to catch up now. So I, I think we have I two know, releases, the train right? doesn't stop, man. <laughs> we <laughs> fell off. Let's better hop back on. Yeah. Two releases went out. Yeah. Uh, we have 357 and 358 went out the door. And um, I, I hear that 359 already has a whole bunch of cool changes in it as well. So um, might want to check out what's going on. So 357 came out on the 21st of May and then 358 on the 1st of June. So, well, it's already the 10th, you know, yep. <laughs> time is ticking. <laughs> I think by next time we'll have 359. So let's see what, what happened. So uh, 357, here the uh, suggestions that Martin had. Obviously, the release notes, as you can see, they're always long and technical. So sometimes it gets a bit hard to digest what's happening. But you can check out on your specific connector what happened. Like I know Brian loves his Elasticsearch connector, for example. So you can see something is happening. But let's see what Martin said. So the highlights Martin said are support for subquery expressions that produce multiple columns. And then support for current catalog, which is kind of cool because you know you can use the use command, like use this in this catalog and schema. And then uh, you can also pass that in via the JDBC string or in the CLI as command. And then that is now a variable that's available. So you can go and do some analytics based on whatever the current catalog and schema is. Right? So that can be kind of handy. Aggregation pushdown made it into the ClickHouse connector. So that's a pretty new connector, oh, so yeah. it's definitely active, early being developed, which is pretty good user news, I think. That's, so that's pretty cool. quick turnaround, too. Yeah, <laughs> uh, aggregation push turn is not that new, but of course, uh, it is implemented in the SBI, so people can see how to hook into it. And there's uh, example implementation in the Hive connector, and I think I think one of the others as well. But basically. Um, you can look for how it's done and then figure out how that would work with your connector. And um, the ClickHouse contributor stepped up and did that. So that's pretty awesome, I think. Um, we had support for identifier mapping uh, in various connectors with rules. And then one thing that I think is pretty cool is uh, the new format number function. We'll talk about that later, I hear. So yeah. I'm not going to spoil that. Uh, <laughs> and then we can cast row types as JSON objects now, um, which is pretty cool because Sometimes, you know, the downstream processing ends up being JSON objects. So that's what Martin thought is really cool. Um, of course, I always find other things that I think are cool because obviously other people have other perspectives. So, um, you know, um, we get people that talk about dynamic filtering all the time and then they're like, well, is it working or is it not? Well, now you can, uh, that's uh, printed in the summary in the explain plan. So if you go explain, analyze, you can clearly see it now. Um, if dynamic filtering is going on or not. So that helps a lot uh, for troubleshooting performance. Yeah, you remember um, that uh, that hack that we had to do on the episode 11? We was like, uh, yeah, it was just we, like, oh, what's we going had to, on? we had to pull out the JSON and actually go check check into uh, all the different. Uh, uh, I can't remember. You, you had to know a couple of the fields to search. Yeah, on yeah, that. you had to know what you're looking for. I mean, like, the, don't get me wrong. Explain plan reading is not simple. Like, yeah. there's a lot of things going on, but it is a bit cleaner now and easier yeah. to at least find the dynamic filters. And it's we're also great. working on. Clarifying this more with term, with like push downs and stuff like that. Hopefully, we'll get some of that stuff implemented as well. Awesome. Now, a cool thing that happened is the the certificate usage for globally trusted certificates for OAuth is now fixed because it now hooks into the the system uh, trust store rather than the one that's used for internal communication. So that that makes OAuth a bit more functional. Obviously, when you're securing like when you're using any authentication, you should be securing Trino. 
and when you do that, please use a globally trusted certificate to do yourself a favor and do all your customers slash users with your client tools a favor because the worst, the last thing you want to do is muck around with certificate files and Java key stores and all that kind of jazz. So now that problem is also gone for OAuth too. So very nice. Um, another little thing, um, if you're using the CLI, the Trino CLI, which is really a powerful actually to write queries and stuff, um, there's a now a little clear command. So if you're using in interactive mode and you have like, you know, results going past and whatever, you can now run clear, clear the screen and you can like sort of clean up again and see what's going on. And then as always, as you can also see here, um, there's numerous connector changes. I had like a whole bunch of them. And so it's active and always going on. Pe the people from Google helped with BigQuery, ClickHouse got some stuff and all the others got some little changes as well. So um, check your favorite connector and see what happened there if you are so inclined. But then we have another release to talk about. So let's talk about 358. 358 uh, was uh, followed pretty quickly um, and it has still some cool features in it. Um, show stats is now supported for arbitrary queries. So that can be useful again for figuring out performance things uh, when you will have bottlenecks or whatever, what's going on, reformatting your query, figuring out like how you do the join ordering and stuff like that when, if necessary. Then there's some performance improvements on order by limit queries. Um, Remember how that works is when there's a limit query, it's sort of like on the fly, doesn't even look at things that are too small and that can uh, make huge performance improvement in general. And now the developers gone in and made that even more uh, supported. Uh, another thing that's happening, it's uh, the Coral library that we has, have for supporting high views um, keeps getting improved. Now we have support for lateral views in it. So uh, that library is basically constantly being worked in and People that are stuck with having to also work with all legacy high views will love that feature because lateral views are used quite a bit. And if you want to know more about that too, check out our last episode on the, uh, episode 18. Yeah, if you're confused about views and who <laughs> isn't, <laughs> check out that episode. And yeah, we will also clarify a few of those things in the in the connector documentation, by the way. Uh, we started to do the connector documentation to have every connector having requirements. So one of the things we want to do next, by the way, is we want to have SQL support, like really detailing which connector supports what specific things. And that includes views. So Views can be pretty confusing depending on your point of view. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, and then um, another thing that happened is Graceful Shutdown was uh, changed in terms of time. Um, Graceful Shutdown is, as you know, there's an API that you can sort of like ping onto a worker and then it's gracefully sort of waits until it uh, all the load is drained off it, doesn't take any more and then it shuts down. That timing was reduced. Shouldn't affect really anyone because it was really big, but if you are using Graceful Shutdown in your process, just check out how it was reduced and make sure it doesn't impact your processes negatively. Most likely not going to happen, but you know, if you are so inclined. There were a bunch of smaller changes on performance and correctness fixes. You can check them out in the release notes, just like little things for in like predicate like usage within statements and stuff like that. It really depends on the query, but generally just the quality of Trino is just like going up in levels really well again. And then the last one that's a sort of semi-breaking changes, you know, the JDBC Presto string is no longer like, you know, JDBC colon colon Presto uh, is no longer supported by the JDBC driver. We cleaned out that old mess and we are all Trino now. 
So Commander Ban Ban all the way. Yes. Get rid of that presto mess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Um, so um, those are the releases, and more is already in the pipe for 359, but we'll talk about that next time. There's some yeah. exciting things, and we might even have a spoiler later when we talk about uh, some software that Core is using. But Oh, it's it's great. It's like every two weeks, it's like Christmas with Trino. So yeah, it's like exactly. every two weeks, I check the release notes, like, ooh, what new features can I use? Exactly. So I uh, got a comment here from uh, Nick, or sorry, from Jan, I think actually is uh, yeah. saying uh, a lot of commander bun buns. Yeah, I, fi I figured today, you know, like I actually had a question, like, is there enough commander bun buns here? <laughs> that's, well, I, that's I mean, they have to dress up differently, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, uh, yeah, definitely uh, let me know if, if you think we need more commander bun buns in, in everybody's background and we'll work on getting you more, more of those. So. Um, all right. Uh, anything else uh, we needed to touch on with uh, releases before we uh, we move on? Yeah, no, let's move on. There's so much cool stuff to talk about. Let's get cool. going. To the concept of the week. All right, Corey. So tell us a little bit about um, if it will show. Let's see. Let me try to remove it and then add it one more time. You mind, uh, how about this? Corey, do you mind uh, stop sharing and then sh uh, share one more time? Yep. Yeah. By the way, everyone, everything looks different and brand new because we changed to a different provider that uh, sorts out all the streaming rules. Brian doesn't have to figure out hardware <laughs> buttons on his uh, sound mixer board and uh, play around with OBS anymore. But new tools also bring new problems, as you That's all right. know. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I just actually, when I switch to share, if I have it on another workspace, it, it just it, it won't do it. So that's why when you were trying to switch, it was nothing. But anyways, we started out. We got it. We got but it. just in general, I think it looks pretty damn good. So thanks, yeah. to, uh, Brian, for kicking this in and, and doing the little branding and stuff. Looking good. Yeah, great. So Corey, tell us about, OK, so I mean, today I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to know about you, you, you all are so, super early adopters. I mean, Iceberg is this kind of. I mean, new, newish, and and like to, for some people it might be newish. For others, you know, this may be the first time you're hearing about it. Uh, we have a couple previous episodes where we go kind of deep into Iceberg. Uh, one with with uh, the creator of Iceberg, uh, uh, Ryan Blue. But then, like now, we're I'm wanting to kind of understand more like how uh, other companies other than Netflix are are using this. So so that's going to be a real big treat uh, for us today. But then, you know. You, uh, you all use kind of uh, tools that like uh, Flink and uh, you, you're using Pulsar and all this really uh, kind of up, up level stuff. Like we're, we're in the Trino community broadcast, we're usually talking about Trino, right? And that's, that's usually hitting on like we're, we're, we're talking about pulling the data out and, and trying to serve the data to, to our customers or, or yeah. internally for a, a different process. And so now we're, we're kind of more interested on like ingestion, right? And, and trying to think like, how does that data get there in the first place? And, you know, a lot of times, uh, you know, engineers are in, in our own space, like, you know, there's, there's, we, we like to think, oh, well, no, no, we don't, we don't touch that in Trino. But there, now that we're kind of trying to uh, uh, work on the same table formats, like there has to be a, a level of, of collaboration. And Iceberg has made that incredibly simple. Uh, being and providing a no spoilers. <laughs> okay, but but anyways, uh, you know, like, but but with, this still requires like us to think about the the upstream process, right? And so, 
that's what we want to kind of talk about today. Yeah. And, and you're going to kind of detail that and how you all have done that in BlueCat. So, so uh, tell us about you know your journey at uh, uh, for for ingestion at Blue Cat. Yeah, um, so just a little context. Uh, we had been looking at Iceberg um, before we jumped in the slides. Um, honestly, almost a year ago, um, and it just wasn't at the spot of uh, Flink support and the required features that we were needing. So we basically passed on it, and our a pretty typical I think Trino story, which is we're using the Hive connector, and um, We'll see, but there was a lot of issues with this and it kind of led to this journey of, okay, we need to move off of that or start looking at other things. So uh, let's just jump into it. Oh, I guess the next key didn't work. Um, so context, uh, Blue Cat is where I work. Uh, essentially we're in what's called the DDI space, which is DNS, DHCP and IPAM. So we power all your typically internal private DNS. And then uh, where I work, there's two different teams that are mainly behind this. And it's uh, mostly one on the research side and one more on the data platform building and infrastructure side. Um, so let's talk about how this all came about. Um, so at BlueCat, our current or prior system, like we're in this middle of migration. So uh, when I first joined, it was all single tenant. So each customer gets their own block of everything. They live in their own space. Um, the pipeline kind of looked like this. Customer sends in data. We use Amazon, so it goes through Firehose. We push into something like S3. And then uh, eventually we have a Lambda that picks this up and puts it into Elasticsearch. So um, it, internally, there's just challenges with this. Like, how do we roll out all the changes to the customer? Your cost of goods sold is quite high because you know our smallest customer would show up. And just to get them started, I have to spin up like five node cluster for Elasticsearch just to start, even if they're not sending us data. So we basically sat down and said, we need to move to multi-tenant and let's start migrating off of this and how do we do this? Um, right now, because we have existing kind of legacy ingestion, we're piggybacking off of that. So um, we're letting everything go through the old pipeline of ingestion and then we're just pulling from the S3 buckets into Pulsar. Now, Pulsar is very um, similar to Kafka if you're from that world. Uh, you know, just, you know, place to store your events, your messages, whatever it may be. Uh, we're storing it in, um, in this case, protobuf into Pulsar. And then we have something like Flink, which is similar to like Spark or SAMS if you're from that world. And that's just providing us a framework in uh, Java to interface with something like Pulsar or Kafka or a bunch of inputs and then provides us a bunch of outputs. And it just... Oh, silly, silly question yeah. just to jump in. Uh, Apache Pulsar and Apache Flink, both of them are top-level Apache projects that have been around for a while, or are they pretty new? Or? Uh, yeah, they're both out of incubator stage. I know Pulsar, like I think a year and a half ago, was an incubator, but they've graduated out of that. Um, so they should, yeah. So pretty, pretty, models, mo yeah. Pretty, pretty modern, but with the Apache Software Foundation. Yeah, so still, still new relatively to other things in there, right? But um, definitely fully supported, full communities, and really um, like full steam ahead kind of scenarios. Awesome. So, yeah. So you know, similar tools, just different kind of tools. Um, I know, I know, this is a little divisive. You know, answer <laughs> at, at your own. But like, you know, is there a particular reason why you chose Pulsar over over Kafka? Because I know, you know, a lot of people are. I think the majority right now are are, are Kafka. But you know, I. You know, nobody attacked, but you know, it's like, what's what's your claim for kind of like moving for for Pulsar? 
Yeah, so um, I, I used to work at a prior company that ran quite large Kafka cluster, you know, uh, plus 100 terabyte kind of Kafka clusters. Um, and we just had a lot of operation burdens around that. Now, the Kafka KIPs have greatly improved since that time as well. But the big selling point for us with Pulsar is you get a pub sub model that you can opt into. So basically, um, you have a consumer and it's a subscription and you say every message in here, if all my consumers say they've seen the message, you can delete the message. Um, in Kafka, you just have retention typically. So you set like, oh, I wanna keep everything for one day or four days. And this creates a really large pipeline. Um, for us, it's once the consumers have all acknowledged they've got the message, we're free to delete it. We've already synced that data in S3. It's very expensive for us to keep everything in our in Pulsar, or in this case, even Kafka. Uh, if you kept four days of all our data, like, you know, we're talking, uh, I don't know, like maybe 500, ter uh, not 500, uh, like 50 TB or something like that, maybe, um, versus this way, we keep as minimal. Like if everything is up to date, we keep basically nothing in there, a couple of gigs. And that's just okay. for the consumers to say, yep, I got the message, I got the message. And once they've got it, we delete from Pulsar. So. Nice. Yeah, that, that's the main thing. It was just a cost thing and the operations. Um, but we're new to the block. So like brand new system, you get to revisit everything and look around and go, okay, wh where's everyone going? What are we looking for? Okay, we can do that. So Good. Oh, good to know. Yeah, so, uh, so this was the first kind of stage of move back like a year ago. We were kind of in this spot like, hey, we need to start syncing things over and what's that look like? Um, so once we had everything moving into Pulsar and Flink pulling it off of that, um, we basically now had this multi-tenant S3 bucket, right? Everything is going from single tenant uh, in different accounts into one um, kind of global account uh, or centralized account. And great, we have all the data. And this is where we start interfacing with Trino. So we started having Trino use the Hive connector with Glue Crawler, and we were able to actually generate reports off of our data. Um, so this was like the first kind of iteration of, hey, look, we don't necessarily need Elasticsearch for some of the stuff, um, and we can start building new features. So, I mean, I can jump into why we picked Trino, but if you're here at the Trino live broadcast, you probably have a good idea of why we're using Trino. I mean, the simple thing was the fact that we could cross our connectors over joins and we could just write SQL. No one needs to know about Elasticsearch. No one needs to know about InfluxDB. We just write SQL in Trino, and that's it. You're making Commander Bum Bum blush. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great. He's already um, pink though, right? <laughs> so it, it's, a, it's a big thing when you're looking at a system like this um, because um, you don't want to make too many decisions up front. And there's other things we want to do down the road. Like we've looked at the ClickHouse connector. We are considering the ClickHouse connector. But this wasn't like, oh, well, now we need to know how to write the, like whatever you use for querying ClickHouse and whatnot, and oh, no one's worked with that. It's like, great, we spin it up in our EKS cluster or Kubernetes cluster on Amazon, and then um, we just write the SQL on Trino. As long as the connector's there, or we could write the connector, but we everyone knows how to write SQL in the company already because we're using Trino. So it's like, great, uh, you don't even care that it's ClickHouse. But from the infrastructure standpoint of the data platform, we might care greatly that's yep. ClickHouse. A lot, a lot of code, a lot of code that you don't have to write there. Yeah. <laughs> um, as well as we have things like, you know, we're using Hive, right? In this example, and we're going to talk about us moving Iceberg. Um, 
the changes for us was just changing where we're pointing to. The SQL, we could leave the same. Assuming like both connectors supported all, all functionality of SQL, but for us, yes. Um, so there wasn't a massive change. It wasn't like, oh, we have to change every single line everywhere we're dealing with X to be this new format. It, literally, we just, hey, we're no longer pointing to high.datalake. Blah, blah, blah. We're now on um, iceberg.datalake. Blah, blah, blah. And that's it. So find and replace is essentially the switch over for us. Nice. So. Uh, I see this kind of end uh, point of like report semi interactive queries. Are these views or, or what actually is, uh, what is the, the materialization of this? Uh, these, um... uh, yeah. So uh, we are kind of got a form of materialized views, but not from like a Trino perspective. Ah. So we are generating out uh, JSON files that we store back in S3, and those are front-facing to the UI. So got the it. UI sees a materialized view, but in Trino, there's not an actual materialized view. The materialized view is a JSON file. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> yeah. uh, because like, we can just serve this up over REST, and like the UI has no idea. As well as like from um, the product standpoint of us, um, it's because that is a materialized Data, like that's the data being materialized, but the UI has multiple different representations. So they mm -hmm. might have to take that and then show it as um, like components or widgets on the UI or a PDF or a CSV or et cetera. So just serving it up as like essentially like here's Rust, here's JSON, and they have no idea about anything else. So mm -hmm. um, as well as there was risk management, right? Like it's a big sell in the company when you come in with a lot of bleeding edge tools. And in this case, like even if we had something like an outage in Trino or outage in our pipelines or, um, you know, S3, there's the connector goes down and we can't even get to S3 for wherever this is, our store JSON files in S3 are just static. Mm -hmm. So literally I can go in and delete Trino today and none of our customers would even know. Like they wouldn't know that we're actually having an outage because a lot of these reports are just static S3 files. Yeah. So um, until, until they don't get new ones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like there, there's a lateness, obviously, but um, a lot of what we're doing on the report side is generated daily. Um, so it's like right now, like high level executive reports and things like that. So as long as the outage doesn't exceed like a 24 hour period, no yep. one would ever actually know. That's, um, that's a nice little buffer too, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, so, a, that's, that's, that's a very like interesting view to generate the like sort of like the cached reports basically as yeah. just chasing raw files. Just, just risk mitigation is what it came down to for us. And um, also uh, like we can continue because uh, we couldn't do the live queries we're doing on Elasticsearch with the Hive connector for mm -hmm. some of the reasons that we can get into. Mm -hmm. So, so uh, one of the first reasons is um, we, um, our system is like essentially DNS logs. And it's from like a security standpoint. Um, some of our customers use it to scan their systems and know like who's talking to what on their device network or like what devices are on the network. So they don't want a lot of lateness or latency in seeing that stream. They want it as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. And the only because there's security implications and stuff yep. like that, right? Often. Yeah, as well as like just they they use it for like monitoring outages from mm -hmm. Office A to Office B or misconfigured routes. So they they want to know as soon as possible. Um, the problem is the way that we're dealing with ingestion is the customer ships us data uh, in like it's like 
um, I think it's like 100 megs or um, a maximum of three minutes, whichever is exceeded. Um, so we end up with a lot of these small files. Mm. Um, and then when this comes in and we store it to S3, so when I want to run something on Trino, it's like, oh, select all from DNS data on the Hive connector. And even if I give it partitions, right? Like I only want today's data. The problem is that customer might have generated like 4,000 S3 files because it's very small files. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so we couldn't do this live query analysis with Hive, at least in the first stage. So we have this compaction problem, right? Like as the slide says, our data arrives in S3 as a lot of tiny files. And we don't want to delay that and make larger S3 files because that would introduce latency. Um, it's extremely slow because like some of our larger customers will end up sending us like 65,000 S3 files in a week. And you don't realize how slow it is to ask Amazon for 65,000 like get objects. Um, even if you're only like, that's already partitioned, right? Like I'm already eliminating historical data. Like I've already specified a partition just for that week. But in that week, it's 65,000 S3 files. And there's data proning, obviously, that Trino can do. But the problem is for, and we're using Parquet format. Um, so the problem is that uh, for that data pruning to happen, it needs to first get that S3 file, right? Mm -hmm. It needs to Parquet metadata. Hey, I'm looking for um, a DNS over UDP. And yeah, that's one of our columns. We store the metadata in, in Parquet. We know what files, uh, what's stored in that file. And that file might be all UDP, or it might be only TCP, or it might be mixed. But just for Trino on, on executing his query, it needs to know like, hey, I don't know if I can prune this file without first getting the file to read the metadata. It might no. not even read the whole file. It might literally just reads the metadata sometimes and says, nope, I don't need it. But that's 65,000 calls. Yeah, yeah. That, that's so, what Ryan was also saying in the, in the last meeting, right? Where um, he was talking about that problem of the, just how HDFS, like how Hive is hooked into HDFS historically, where it is used to reading from like a file system and that's fast, but now yeah. the file system is in the cloud, which totally messes that, that architecture up. So. Yeah, and then on top of that, you, you know, it starts adding up. Like Amazon's very happy because you're paying for all these list objects and get objects, yeah. um, and it was just becoming a hassle. So we end up saying like, okay, it's not such a big deal if we just have compaction. So we're going to write our own compaction job that basically version zero is the small files, and version one will be a compacted version of that. And uh, from the Hive connector standpoint, we were just literally storing it as like. Um, a partition of version. So mm -hmm. you'd have uh, slash year, month, day, slash hour, slash version. Yeah. And that's kind of how we were doing it in S3. And this is kind of like similar like concept to snapshots, not the same implementation, obviously, but it, it provides a similar kind of thing that Iceberg was providing with snapshots. Uh, but this is a huge pain. Because you all look at Bucket. I know that like it doesn't solve everything, but... Yeah. Like, so well. So... We had looked at Bucket, but even this didn't solve it much because it's like, what are we going to Bucket buy, yeah. right? Like, and, and then like, we always have customers who want to slice and dice a certain way, and we end up like, oh, well, we're going to have to just get everything across all buckets anyways yeah. for this customer. Yeah. And it's like, well, we're back to square one. Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah. So, um, so we, we had a compaction job, uh, and we take these like very small one meg or, you know, whatever under files and compact them into one gig files. So you go from like 
a week of 65,000 files down to like 500 S3 files. And we saw like performance just for that, like three to six times increase right there. Mm -hmm. So that was good. Now, the next problem we had with the Hive connector is, well, you have the Metastore problem, which is um, it needs to know what partitions are available and when those are available, which means we need a way to update the Metastore. And we're using Amazon, so we're using Glue uh, Crawler to, to crawl the data, except it's really expensive. <laughs> um, and you have that trade-off. Like, you would just increase the time the crawler checks, but then we have we have lateness. The problem is the data is there, but because the partition data hasn't been updated in the Metastore, Trino doesn't actually know like, hey, there's a new hour um, or there's new stats about this that I could use on the cost optimization stuff. Um, so uh, this was, we even tried to do this on ourselves. Like during Flink, you're seeing all data, right? And you know when you're syncing this data. So we thought, well, maybe we can just make the API call to Amazon to actually just update Glue and not have the crawler do anything. Uh, the problem is like the uh, S3 sync in Flink doesn't necessarily expose the file to us. Um, so we, we hit a roadblock there and we just couldn't get around it. Um, plus, we this is more code. Like the same thing with the compaction jobs, the same thing with this. It's yeah. more code. More maintenance, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and it doesn't provide any value to our customers. Like this is yeah. all behind the scenes to them. And um, it's not DNS data. It's nothing related to DHCP, IPAM, or DNS. This isn't our business. We are not an Amazon, right? Like we're here to provide value on the DNS data. Um, so, yeah. Uh, plus the cost was, yeah, I already said the cost was getting ridiculous. Like the crawler itself with all the S3 list objects starts adding up. Like I don't I, know if I, that can be stated enough, though. You know, <laughs> it's like <laughs> when you get that AWS bill, it's like holy. <laughs> Amazon was probably happy though. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> like it was, and it wasn't like so much that we couldn't run the system. It was just like as we continue to grow, this cost is going to just become an issue, right? Like we need to find a way to like even if I said it's linear cost, well, we don't want linear. We want like a log projection, right? Um, so it wasn't working. So um, this is what this all kind of looked like before Iceberg with the Hive connector. We wrote our own uh, custom compaction job. We're using the glue crawler for the glue Metastore. We still have our ingestion happening with Flink and Pulsar into our multi-tenant data bucket. We're still using Trino on the Hive connector and we still have our reports. Um, so this got us, the advantage was we had compaction working. That got us that three to six performance increase. We did in, uh, decrease the cost of the glue crawler because there's less files to crawl, as well as on the Trino side when it's making, like not Trino itself, but behind the scenes, it's making the S3 list objects and get objects. So that decreased our cost on that. Um, and life was great, except until it wasn't because we had to maintain this. <laughs> so iceberg to the rescue. Um, that's kind of what happened was, I, I don't remember if it was Ryan who did a talk or I think it maybe it was the Adobe blog post that they did on Medium talking about Iceberg that- That one's fantastic. I need yeah. to add that to the show notes. <laughs> um, that I finally re-pulled it up after a year. And I, internally on the team, we always knew that we would probably be going to Iceberg even back a year ago. It was like, this is going to be the winner. Um, just reading what it did. It's yep. just not where we need it to be. Like at that time, there was no Flink support and we were very invested in Flink and it was just too much of a sell. Um, 
and we didn't have the capacity to dedicate to build out the Flink stuff. So what we did you up, do when, they, when you found out Flink support was coming to Iceberg then? Uh, <laughs> like, so it was like, that's one of many check boxes. It was like, oh, do they support the hidden partitions? Um, like, how's this work? And have they added everything? Have they forked? Like, has V2 come out? What's in V2 yet? Um, and as well as the compaction stuff. The, the compaction was a big thing. Like, yeah. okay, great. Iceberg is going to provide us this way that we maybe don't need the glue Metastore anymore. But what about compacting all these small files? But then reading the docs and everything and seeing where they evolved, it's like, oh, they saw that as well. Like that's all part of like the maintenance actions. And it's like, great. So um, so we essentially was like, okay, uh, let's leave everything running as is. And let's just basically piggyback on our existing data and write a new Flink job and just duplicate our data, but in the iceberg format. And let's see if it works. And, uh, you know, through trial and error, we got it to work. <laughs> I love that. It works. <laughs> yeah. Bullet four, and it just magically finished everything for you all. You can so, all go home. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it, it, yeah, like as we're talking like, okay, we didn't need our custom stuff anymore for this. It's, it's provided by Iceberg. We run a, Iceberg has the maintenance actions and they support Flink. So we just basically kick off a Flink job and it does that. And the way that the data format is of Iceberg, we don't need um, the glue crawler to go in and update the partitions because it's stored in the manifest files. Um, and then like the glue, we still have glue Metastore, but this is a whole other thing. It's just a pointer to the actual manifest stuff and all that, but we're gonna get rid of this anyways. Um, so I, I mean, it was great. Life is great. We delete our compactor job, and everything is good. And you know, we just kept going. Um, it, it was like, okay, we have Flink and Trino support with Iceberg. We can still use the Parquet stuff. Great hidden partitions was something for those unfamiliar with Iceberg. Um, but if you're familiar with Hive and Trino world, you, you're when you write or craft your SQL, you're including the partitions directly. Um, for us, it's like customer ID. Um, actually, that's that's the catch. For us, customer ID is a reference to the data itself. Customer is a reference to the partition. Um, and what we had happen internally was someone wrote a query one time where it was like select all from uh, blah, 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 where customer ID equals the customer ID. The problem is that's not the partition. So during planning, you can't prune that on the S3 path. You yeah. actually pull in all customer data and you're literally looking down the row and you're like, oh, wait, I don't need this. I don't need this. I don't need that. Except, <laughs> you know, you just ran a query on like hundreds of TV of data versus if you did it by partition, we're down to like, you know, I don't know, for this customer, maybe like less than one terabyte of data. Oh, um, no. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, and why, why are reports taking like for like eight hours to generate? Like, <laughs> and it was just pulling up explain. I'm like, uh, I don't see any of the dynamic filtering. Okay, that's weird. And it's like, oh, because you're using the actual data for, oh, for, yeah. for in the SQL, not the like the uh, like the partition, yeah. so it's going to get everything and then only prune once it can actually go through 
the data itself and not at the uh, S3 location where it can just drop everything. Yeah, um, this, this is exactly like that. That that's like the the whole reason for hidden partitioning. Like that's the perfect uh, like uh, poster child like use case. <laughs> but from but from 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 the person writing the query, it totally makes sense. Makes sense. Like, yeah. Why would you want to care about what partition this is in? It should just work, right? Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, and so that happened like I think once or twice. So that was like, okay, this is gonna happen again. And you can just build tooling around this to make sure like, oh, we could put a listener on Trino side to make sure that there's always a partition, like on customer at least and things like this. But um, it was just nice that Iceberg solved this. Um, there was no custom compaction. We could literally just get rid of our compaction. And I don't think people realize just how complicated compaction is. I know me and Manfred were just talking about this yesterday. Like, it's like the best interview question. You ask someone like, you have small files and you want to compact them into large files. Like, how would you do this? Um, because you get into like, um, how do you lock? How do you guarantee that it happened? How do you get rid of the old data? When do you get rid of the old data? Like, how do you actually make sure it like atomically happens if you're swapping? And then um, just what's the optimal size? Like, like. How do you get all that information? How do you re? It's such a huge thing. Like the, um, I was telling Manfred that the RFC for Iceberg's compaction was nine pages in a Google Doc, and even then they're like, like somewhere in there there's like, and there's a lot of work to be done in X still, and you're like, yeah. <laughs> so uh, less code the better. Like yeah, the good thing is someone else has thought about it, so you yeah. don't need to scratch your head, right? <laughs> yeah, and, and as they improve it, we just get all the benefits. It's like the same yeah. thing of why I was saying I love the release notes for Trino. Like every two weeks comes along, and usually I'm like, oh, that actually might increase our performance. Oh, like that makes my life easier. Oh, I don't yeah. need to do this. Um, yeah, that, so that that answer to that question too of like how long do you keep things around? Like you just. You keep things around for a while until you are able to like 100% have like all the checks run and make sure that the, that data that you thought like that you have moved into this like new shiny compacted state is like still existing. So like Iceberg does this through snapshots, right? Like yep. you don't see the existing one, but you you have older versions where things were all scattered all, all around. And then at some point you say, okay, like, that stuff can eventually like that stuff can now go away because now in this new snapshot, I have like done some ideally some check that will you know ver validate. Hey, the same row count that I get for running this query is the same row count I get for running the old snapshot query and remove all those old ones. But you know, yeah, it's um, a part of I believe the the manifest metadata itself. When it makes the new snapshot, you can actually see the files that were created in the rows of those files. Yeah. So then I can actually just use the metadata to confirm like, hey, before this snapshot, there was 100 million rows. And now yeah. after this, that it still references 100 million rows. Like yeah. I know that everything is good to go. Yeah, and um, if you're super paranoid, you can do any check amount of yeah. checksums you want. Yeah. Like it's super simple. <laughs> well, uh, the beauty with Trino is, and our migration from high to iceberg is, I just select between both connectors yep. and say like, hey, look, is there anything missing yep. between these two joins? And yep. if there is, where? Yeah. And the hidden columns on high side, I can even say what files, right? Like, yeah. so it makes it very, very convenient. Um, but yeah, overall, it offered us a bunch of stuff. Um, so where are we today? Um, this system's ingesting about 20 gigs an hour with, if you want to call it complex schema. So it's multi-nested and all this. And um, 
we're, we are compacting using uh, Iceberg, um, using their Flink actions for this. And uh, we have Trino actually working through this. And the things that we have left is garbage collection in the sense of like Iceberg provides us the actions um, in Flink to do things like find orphan files. Um, if there was like two writers running at the same time and something crashed, like you could end up with an orphan file. It's not that you've lost data. It just hasn't switched over and uh, you would have orphan files, but we don't have any tooling around this. And um, one thing with Iceberg is like, you have all the things you need, but not necessarily the things that are going to be like, oh, by the way, I'm just going to automatically go run this myself, or I determine you should run this. It's more like you trigger the action. Um, so we're just trying to figure out tooling around this of when we want to do that, when, can we notice orphan files on our own, when we should trigger the action. And then the reporting is like our actual customer facing stuff. Right now we're still using Hive, but we need to switch this over. Like that JSON file generation I talked about, that's mm -hmm. still using Hive. And we just need to switch over to point to iceberg. Yeah. So uh, yeah, this is just me iterating the same thing I kind of just said. You know, when do we trigger maintenance? How do we monitor the orphan files? Um, when do we clean up prior snapshots? It, all this kind of stuff. Um, but this is just like internal business stuff. Like when do you feel comfortable? When have you done all the checks and balance? And um, you know, I was saying we could actually, we were looking at using Trino for this itself is in Iceberg, I can get the metadata about Iceberg files. So I can actually go look like, hey, are the Iceberg files compacted enough? And what files aren't compacted? And you know, select me all the files less than one gig. Get me a list, and then I can send that list over to Iceberg in an API call and just say, OK, these are the files I want you to compact. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. Uh, it, what's, what, yeah. Uh, what are the kind of remaining roadblocks to kind of fully migrating over to Iceberg? Like, is there a, like a pretty, pretty close, or do you feel, still think it's like a, some, some quarters or months away? Uh, so I guess this is perfect to go into the pain points. You're like, welcome. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's literally um, early days for Iceberg and Trino. Um, so like uh, we still have issues where the compaction job like on Iceberg side doesn't give us a lot of insights to like what's going on. Like it takes us sometimes like six hours to run the compaction job. Sometimes it just fails on the flink side. Um, so these are blockers. Mm -hmm. And like there is improvements, like the, we are seeing contributions come in, like more visibility and better compaction strategies. And you know, Ryan's talk with Manfred was good to give us insight also to like how Netflix is doing it. Um, just like, hey, are you doing just small files? Are you just saying compact everything since the beginning of time? You know, it's all the things like the doc doesn't give you explicitly. It's like mm -hmm. call this and you can do compaction, and you're like, great, but should I? do everything at once? Mm -hmm. uh, should I break it down? How do I break it down? Um, yeah. Also, we're still unsure of if I call compaction twice on all my data, like first time from beginning of time to the end, and then I call again, is there any logic there that says, like, I've already compacted this? Or is it literally just going blindly, like, go in and recompact everything? So from, like, that came up in the meetup, by the way, uh, with, with uh, Ryan last time. Um, and for those of you that have missed that, it's available on YouTube. So me and Ryan Blue. I'll have it in the show notes, by the way. That will be in the show notes. So um, anyone that's interested in that kind of stuff, he was saying that it's basically a no-op. 
but yeah. there's like edge cases, so you'll have to test it out. But like you can run compaction multiple times, and it'll just be no hopping over stuff that it has some internal uh, tracking on what's already there. So, uh, but so you know, if you you don't want to try that on huge amounts of data where it costs you a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, sandbox so it for sure. I think a lot of it is just like the tooling um, for for us to go all the way, and also right now we're stuck with DynoDB. Um, because glue um, doesn't support the uh, atomic actions that we need, mm. but that kind of comes to this, which is like, so there's no like first class support for the glue catalog with Iceberg if you're using Trino, um, but there is look this lovely pull request. It's in the works. Yeah, I nice. I know there's some discussion about this. Um, also, um, this isn't a blocker to us moving. It was just a blocker for us to make progress initially. So all of our data was being written by Flink. And when Flink writes this uh, iceberg format, what happens is it doesn't write anything in this storage descriptor uh, key. And what happens is somewhere in Trino, I, we had found the line, it expects this value to not be null. And if it is null, it is not happy. <laughs> Uh, I, I don't remember if we got exception or it just says like, oh, like it can't even list out the schema or what it was, something. Um, so our, our hack solution in this case, and it's related to this pull request, which was just like, okay, um, we're just going to write a dummy value and, and Trino passes along and says, yep, yeah, okay, cool, great. Um, so yeah. It's we, early we, days. We, we should check with Ryan and see if the storage descriptor is allowed to have a null value according to to the spec, and then yeah. either fix the flink thing or yeah. whatever, right? <laughs> yep. So uh, it's just early days, so we're we're taking our time and, and yeah. just shifting. Yeah. And right now the system's already working. Um, it's just not as good as it could be. Yeah. Um, we had issues with like compaction job. Like I said, it would just fail. We we had to. Do a bunch of like tinkering around with it and trying to figure out how we would get this to work. And uh, there's just a lot of things that are even undocumented. Like, uh, you know, I think I was telling Manfred yesterday when you jumped off was uh, your blog post was like just the stuff we had learned last week. And your blog post was about like, oh, look, Trino can actually expose you all this internal stuff about Iceberg. Um, and it's like, <laughs> <laughs> like, so Man Manfred is actually uh, has a. I think you have a PRN already, right, Manfred? To, to add, we're a lot working of docs. on getting the the SQL support documented better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, I I found it through de diving into Slack and asking people directly. And at this point, yeah, like there there is. Uh, I'd say you know if you are motivated enough uh, and you can you could technically get iceberg up and running for a production level yep. support, right? But you have to have a lot of like people that you're talking to, you have to do a lot of documentation, you're gonna be spending more time on rather than actually implementing anything, probably just figuring out what stuff's going on. And that's, I think the most pain, but that being said, like it, it's taken a lot to get, you know, there's been a lot of work being done that's already been done to kind of get mm -hmm. it to where it is today, where it's, you know, you can, you know, use it at a production level. There's just a whole nother effort that we're all kind of uh, all working in right now, trying to a get it documented, and then b just kind of find finding these like you know compatibility uh, issues where yep. you know maybe the spec didn't quite specify a very something very clear. So you know one project kind of interpreted it this way, and just or just maybe didn't interpret it at all and just kind of left it to you know leave something that gets yeah. You know, I, I think that. 
I think that happened before with like um, upper case, uh, case sensitivity somewhere before, yeah. uh, and we, yeah, we ran into the same yeah. issue. Yeah, yeah. So. And it wasn't like a that wasn't a huge issue. That was like a no. it messed up a show command, you know. And so like in terms of prod level type issues, like it was a bug, but it wasn't like a you know something that ideally like or probably would have broken anything down. Uh, like had you especially had you uh, done like a test before, but. You know, it's 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 definitely like you know these things are reproducible errors at this point. Yep. It's just you know there there's a lot of small little things that you know across the board we like there needs to be a consensus on how this actually is is done versus kind of leaving it up in the air, I guess. Yeah. So uh, this was what we were just talking about. Yep. We weren't sure if it recompacted, and even when I talked to Ryan, it's like, oh, it's because. The case he's talking about it not recompacting is related to deletes, but that's only if you're using V2, mm -hmm. and and because like Deflex is next gen bleeding edge, and yeah. you know um, he's like, oh, it won't recompact or attempt to recompact already like files marked for deleted. It's like okay, yeah, but non-deleted files, what's going to happen? Yeah. Uh, like I'm talking about files that I just want to actually collapse. Is it going to just attempt to reclap like there's just a bunch of things that you really have to dive into the code or you like you're saying you need to know someone that's already running it to go like hey yeah. what's happening here yeah. um but summary is basically like um i think it's the future uh, yeah. i i think i think even if you're small like us and you know we're not nowhere near netflix size but uh the benefits are just the compaction, even if you wrote it yourself and you weren't using, like we saw three to six X speed increase. Mm -hmm. um, that's uh, cool. yeah, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> and you know, and it's nothing on like necessarily like, like oh, Trino's able to do this faster. It's more or less like, great, I don't need to ask for sixty five thousand files anymore, and I just ask yeah. for like four hundred. Yep. Um, so um, on Iceberg, with just being able to kick off the action and get compaction out of there, it's like it's gonna be huge. Um, as well as like, even if you already had relatively large files, it's the fact that, you know, if you had a lot of customers or a lot of files you're producing, even if they're large, it's the fact mm -hmm. that, you know, Iceberg only goes and gets the manifest list. And once it has that, it has the metadata about every single file and all the, um, yeah, the same thing, like in, for us, Parquet, like the same sort of metadata. So right there, it reads essentially for most people listening to this, is going to read one man manifest list file, mm -hmm. and or n, but it's going to be like much smaller than what you normally have to read on all your data files. And mm -hmm. then from there, it immediately knows what files to not even go get. It's like great, like and um, you know, I saw that they want to add um, uh, Bloom filter support in the mm -hmm. manifest list. So then, like if you have large things with like large dictionaries, you could use a Bloom. A bloom filter, so that would just be up. Uh, but yeah, summary is like I really think it's the future. I, I think the high thing is going to go bye bye. Like that's my opinion, but for sure, you know, I like once you start getting rid of like the meta store and you start being able to just run just Trino and just your data, and you yeah. just have to have the iceberg format there as like this meta store middle layer. Um, it just solves a lot of problems. So yeah, I, I think you're totally like it's. We definitely are saying bye bye to Hive. Like I would, I would bet money on that, a lot of money on that. And then, like I would just say that you know the question for a lot of people right now is with these new table formats, you know, emerging, you know, who who's going to be the the one that sticks around? Like you know, is it going to be Iceberg? Is it going to be 
uh, Hootie, is it going to be uh, 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 Delta Lake? And so, you know, there's there's all these kind of questions about which one. And and I think really what to, in my in my mind, when it comes to, you know, Delta Lake was the was the kind of first uh, people to take a run at it. They had a whole like enterprise focused in on this and they they got there first. And then Iceberg kind of, you know, came as the open source savior that not only like, you know, open source this, uh, you know, this this really cool and efficient way to to handle a lot of these pains that we've had with Hive, but like now they they put a spec around this and a specification around this. And now it's like it's something that can live outside of a specific implementation. And that's where I think the true power that brings this like forward into the future, right? It's not just like, oh, we have this implementation and you have to know this implementation or it has to, you know, we have to change the implementation to get it right. No, it's like everybody's kind of a, in the in the game of implementing it. We're actually, the most important thing is like, you know, getting the like specification correct and getting everybody aligned on, on how they do things. Like that's going to be the real strength moving forward. Uh, and, and you can make a, you know, 500 different icebergs at that point and figure out which one's the one you want, you know, <laughs> so it's it's beautiful. So anyways, um, uh, Corey, does, is there anything else you wanted to share before uh, we, we hopped on to the rest last bits of the show? No, not unless you guys had anything. That's it. Like, okay. you know, it, it's been quite a journey and, you know, it's still kind of the early days of it. But I, I mean, you can't argue with less code, still get performance, decrease costs like at the end of the day, like that's what every business wants to hear. <laughs> yeah. And also, that's what you want to do as a developer. Like, yeah, exactly. There's nothing more satisfying than a refactoring where you delete more code than you write. <laughs> yep. Okay. Uh, well, with that, uh, uh, we didn't have any uh, lingering questions. So uh, let's move on to the uh, PR of the week. Right. So, um, so we have PR of the week, and um, this is a PR. Let me pull up, pull it up. I should have preloaded this. There we go. Uh, adding the uh, format number function, and so this is uh, actually a totally brand new function uh, that was that was made by Yuya, uh, one of our maintainers. Um, and uh, yeah, it's basically is an issue he he had brought up before. Like a lot of times when you're pulling data out. Uh, you have these super, super long, large numbers. Uh, sometimes it can really make a bloaty looking like table that gets returned. So just to have like a, a nice quick little format number function that, that you know, kind of uh, takes care of the bloat uh, and, and makes it like a nice compact little uh, uh, value, especially when it comes to like, you know, looking uh, really quickly over a set of values to have that uh, uh, kind of e easy to read uh, ease of reading versus just a whole long list of numbers uh, is just a much much nicer format to to view. So so this uh, format function was was added. Um, it fixes this uh, issue one eight seven eight, which I think also yeah also you you put out there. I'm guessing he needed it. So <laughs> and uh, it's crazy is like he pulled it out in a 2019 kind of uh, uh, almost no not quite two years ago a year and a half ago we'll say. And uh, uh, just just now got to it, but I mean that's how it, how it is, right? You're like hoping somebody will <laughs> jump on it, and they're like, well, I guess I need this at some point, so might as well take care of it now. So this was added into three fifty seven. Yep. And okay, 
I think uh, one thing he pointed out was uh, that just a only note I'll, I'll make about this PR is uh, there's a format utils, uh, and this is actually a broken link now with the uh, rebrand. Let me go to the uh, one that, that he brought up, but there's a format utils class in the CLI that kind of does something like this a little bit, but I guess it was missing uh, a couple specific uh, cases that, um, that Yuya was, I, I think, particularly interested in. And it's in the CLI, which then doesn't help you if you are not using the CLI. <laughs> That's also true. Yeah. So so then um, so so he wrote his own, uh, and I have that link there. If you want to dive into the code there, uh, and just basically similar type of code, but just also uh, accounts for a couple other of uh, these like I think negative situations. So um, with uh, without further ado, let's go ahead and uh, run the quick demo. Uh, is, does it make sense to have the same sound or should we have like different sounds for each thing? <laughs> well, I guess you have to do a ding and a drum roll and whatever, but yeah, next time. <laughs> I, was, I thought about, I thought about sirens possibly for, for demos, like, uh, cause usually they just don't go, but anyways, let's take a look at uh, some of these outputs here. So if we have one, two, three, four point five, uh, yeah, I've already run that by right, 1.23 K. Um, and by the way, these so that's casting. He he tried casting doubles. Uh, I'm looking from some of the ones they pulled from his test. You know, you do some casting. You can actually do it on actual like just uh, direct values, uh, numeric values. We'll have the same. Um, we can uh, uh, look at these super long negative values, and you'll get the same uh, thing for the positive values here, um, and then. Uh, 999 is the cutoff for like uh, just leaving it alone. And then if you go to a thousand, you get negative uh, 1K. And same thing if you do positive. So it's a simple in, con in concept, but uh, yeah. And, and I think for, for those that are, um, you know, kind of wanting to see uh, a code change that doesn't really touch, you know, like a huge amount of uh of, of code and and isn't really super super complex i think this is a good pr to start out with you can just kind of dive in it let's go look at see there's like um next someone's going to ask for the uh opposite of uh format number they want to go from format number back to a real yeah. number <laughs> there we go inverse <laughs> give uh so yeah give me give me this uh blown up um so yeah, so this is touching six files. Uh, it's and it's not you know there's there's one class that that he created uh, and then a big testing function. So pretty easy to see how if you wanted to add a function, um, you know it's it's not a, a huge amount of code change. Uh, so if you are uh, are wondering how how that works, uh, definitely give uh, PR one nine zero five a look. Um, all right. So, uh, so we've done PR done and, and demo. And by the way, um, this is just for formatting numbers. Of course, Trino has lots of other functions to formatting strings and stuff for that. If you want to, like, you know, do more massaging, you can. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, here, let's do it quick while we're while we're thinking about it. Just go, you know, if you wanted to look at all the different functions that we have, you go to uh, the Trino. I just clicked it really fast, but Trino docs, and then you'll um, uh, and then you'll basically come to this page here. And we have it split up into, you know, logical docs. Uh, this one would probably fall under uh, format. Or is, it, is there a format one? There's probably got to be a string. There's, there's string. String. Okay. 
By the way, we are probably gonna reorder this to be alphabetical or something because. <laughs> yeah, I'm just gonna do a number. Uh, uh, it's not showing up. Why am I? Uh, oh well. I'm is guessing... it format number? Is it format number? Oh. Yeah, format. Format, but then we don't have it's we don't have format number. Or let me see. Yeah, we don't have format number. Uh, on here. I'm guessing it's under one of these other ones. Uh, maybe it, it could be. Hmm. Maybe, maybe, it, maybe they didn't add the docs yet, but. We'll oh, yeah. So, so that's, it. by the oh, way, one thing that I'm doing regularly now, I'm going to look at all the release notes and then go and check. It's under out. conversion. <laughs> it, was, conversion. it was not under. Yeah, yeah. So, so there it is. Uh, so if, yeah, if you want to, but this is the same location that you would find all these cool little functions and, and these things fill in a lot of gaps that maybe, you know, it's hard to do and in SQL, you have like a nice, a uh, convenient function to, to pull these things out for you. So, um, all right. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Manfred. Is there anything else you wanted to say about that before we head on to the question? No, I think that's cool. All right. And for the last time to the question of the week. So, um, question that was posted on Elasticsearch a couple of days ago, um, new neutrino and just wanted to know that, uh, this is again, back to the Elasticsearch connector. How do I, uh, uh, search on, on nested, uh, objects. So this kind of gets into some that, that may not know, uh, uh, the difference between like what a nested object would be versus like a regular object in Elasticsearch. Um, you, uh, Elasticsearch has a way. Uh, on how they do indexing. And uh, when you push in an object, you're basically just pushing in like the full document. Um, you have this option to use a nested object and it basically just uh, takes the object and stores it in a separate index. So that, uh, and, and essentially what you would have to do is, is perform a join to pull this, this data out. And this ends up uh, becoming a, a much faster search uh, on the direct like nested object itself. Uh, and you can do, uh, there's some functionality, I can't even remember exactly what it is, but there's like some equality functionality that gets opened up that doesn't exist with the standard uh, object. Um, so depending on what kind of searches you're trying to do uh, in Elasticsearch. So Trino doesn't care about that though. Like these both to Trino is like, they're both just regular objects. So like we just map this back to a row um, and, and both, and, and so, uh, what you would need to do is like, you know, to answer this question, if you, if you knew that information, you would say, okay, well, what's the row syntax that I would need to know. So I, uh, answered this question. Um, it's so basically I, the first time I'm showing this like linked products example that they have is the nested object. And then it has this ID. So, uh, what you would do, and let me see if I can, uh, make that a little bigger. Um, you would have a, you would have, there we go, linked products dot ID. So that's the row uh, operator to, to, um, you know, basically access a named column within that row. So, uh, link products dot ID and that solves it for that. Um, but one thing I also kind of dug into with this question was like, you can see that, um, the, the product name in the question, in the original posters thing, they said linked products. So I'm assuming that this is actually an array. And this brings up another interesting point with uh, the Elasticsearch connector uh, in, in terms of how Trino views the world and how they view the world is that um, 
if you are to treat this like an array, Elasticsearch has really like very little concepts about uh, like array, uh, basically uh, scalar versus a uh, uh, um, uh, uh, multi-value uh, array uh, in terms of the, the value. So if I, in the same way that I can push in a single linked product, you know, is, is this is actually like, you know, curly brackets that surround this thing and I'm actually pushing in this object um, to it. I can also push in an array of objects and that to Elasticsearch, like everything at the at the Lucene index uh, level is all represented as arrays. So this one single uh, object gets represented as a, a an array object of one. And the same thing uh, for uh, this is, it ends up getting represented as, you know, an array of two. So, so Elasticsearch, just based on how Lucene indexes and, and basically inverse indexes work in general, um, you know, that's just uh, how, how Elasticsearch views that world. But to Trino, we need to know, is this an array or is it not? <laughs> and so, uh, so ultimately, like, there needs to be a mapping. And so if you pushed in this object, the second uh, uh, um, row, and you tried to run the same exact query, you would get a query failed because it's saying linked products uh, is expected to be a row type. And in fact, it's actually some array type. So to fix that, you would want to, uh, we have this way to indicate to Trino, um, this has this old uh, uh, namespace wrapper of Presto. We will be getting that updated at some point soon. But uh, you basically have to indicate to Trino, hey, this uh, uh, object at the same like root level um, it called linked products, that's actually an array. So you actually push that, that value in uh, and to uh, a field called the meta field. And that now is going to get searched by Trino and says, okay, show me which, uh, which fields are going to be treated as arrays. And then I will you know, deserialize that as an array of objects versus just uh, a single uh, value. And so now, uh, now that we have that we have, we're treating this like an array, we have to update our select query. Uh, you can use the element at in case uh, that's another function that allows you to do a um, you know uh, a particular uh, location in the array, and you can basically say the element at this location in the array, and then uh, do the same uh, uh, nomenclature as before dot id, and then we just recast it as id one versus id two, and so if you run that query now. Uh, the first column, again, we, we had no value for ID2 because it was just a single value. But then the second uh, part of the array that came back with the 456 that was inserted in this second ID here. So, uh, you know, a little extra answer to that question uh, than, than was originally asked. But I think it was, you know, I think that that would have been the next problem that that user would have uh, ran, run into. So, uh, so that's that's basically uh, what I wanted to have uh, to, to basically have covered there. Um, I hope you got that answer accepted on Stack Overflow. That's a lot of work you put in there. That's a good good answer. Yeah, I uh, it's some a, points by whoever. It's a new uh, yeah, it's a new person. So I don't know. Like sometimes new people don't typically know. Like or maybe he asked and then forgot about it. But if anything, I like it just to have it there so that if anybody needs to reference it and find it at least it'll be for them i'll get the the plus tens here and there and that's fine enough for me <laughs> exactly <laughs> so. now here's the call out all our viewers go to, to, to your stack overflow account <laughs> 
from the show notes and upload that answer. <laughs> All right, thank you. So, um, okay, so I think with that, uh, that's pretty much uh, the show. Uh, Manfred, did you have anything else you wanted to uh, uh, cover before we, we hop off? Just off topic, um, greetings to all our friends in China and good news. Um, unbelievably and unbeknownst to me, um, a simplified Chinese translation of Presto Definitive Guide is available and it looks awesome. Like, you know, I just love the different character set. I can't wait to get a paper copy as like sort of the author with Matt and Martin. Um, and it will be updated to be a Trino Definitive Guide version as well. So. Yeah, we're taking over China as well with Trino. Hey, hey. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> we, we already have a Japanese one, or what are the other translations that currently um, exist? I don't know if that's any other translation, but if you have uh, someone in the community wants to work on the translation for Japanese or whatever, please do reach out to me. I can hook you up with the people at O'Reilly. It would be awesome. Great. All right. It's kind of kind of insane to think that that a book that I was participating in is available in a different language now. I guess I guess I should get Mac together and make the German translation. I was just gonna say <laughs> <laughs> we have plenty of people in, in uh you say so in you you would be able to translate it to German? <laughs> well, well, it's my mother tongue. Um do I still like <laughs> feel like I can write a book in German? I'm not so sure. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, challenge accepted, right? I guess we'll <laughs> look forward to the German <laughs> translation and Yeah, if maybe... so, if someone over in Europe, Germany wants to help with the translation, I'm sure we can sort of like hook that up with or with O'Reilly somehow and figure something out. I'm I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, totally. But yes, we do want to take over the European market as well, so we're Absolutely. working on that. For sure. Awesome. Well, um, thanks everyone for uh, attending the show today. Music for the show is uh, from Mega Man 6 gameplay album uh, by, uh, I, I just looked over the pronunciation to get this right. I'm gonna have this on a recording the next time so I don't keep butchering this poor, poor Polish guy's name. Shishtof Slavikowski and I- You need to just well, get one of our committers to say the name for you, record it and, <laughs> and use that. Yeah, exactly. I'll have, uh, if Jan's still on, Jan, you're, you're gonna record it for me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly and then and and uh you'll, you'll be the outro every time so thanks everyone uh see you in the next show thanks for joining us Corey.